Hello, and thanks for joining me on this edition of Speak Now, the documentary series. I am Femi Tunde Okunola. This documentary is titled The Secret Cut. On the 3rd of January 2018, Alaji Adebayo, a self-employed building contractor, caused a lot of outrage after he posted graphic pictures on Facebook showing young girls getting circumcised and launched with a brief message offering a bonanza for free female circumcision in Ilongwekwara State, Central Nigeria. Several Nigerians took various platforms to criticize him. After a visit to his lawyer residency by campaigners from anti-female genital mutilation groups, he changed his stand and later put up a post writing that made me realize the disadvantages and implications in doing mutilation for the female child. I urge every parent to put an end to the female circumcision because of the problems that might come out from there later in the future. The latest development has since cast some shadow on previous data which claims that the female genital mutilation practice is at a low in the state compared to other states. In this edition of Speak Now, the documentary series, I investigate the female genital mutilation practice in Quara State that has thrived on the belief systems for so long. It's the secret cut and explore the bloodlines between religion, culture and medical views as well as the legal stance amongst practitioners as well as those fighting the cause here in Kwara State, Nigeria. <laughs> My name is Kende Bukola. I'm from Sokoto Aloba here in Ilorinkwara State. I perform circumcision for males. At the time, I did the same for females as well, until we were told of its harmful effects on the girls and women. From my training back then, I was taught to cut at the area around the Libya Majora, just the tip, partially. But since we are advised against circumcising females, I stopped the practice. I have lost count of the number of females that I have circumcised. At the time, our reason for circumcising females was because the Afas, Islamic clerics, taught us about the necessity of cutting females. And that's why even the parents themselves brought the children. But as you know, we live in a progressive world. And since knowledge has increased in that aspect as to the dangers being more than any advantages whatsoever, I have stopped it. I don't do it anymore. A woman in her mid-thirties, I ask her about the persistence of the practice here. She answers evasively. I don't know if what has the practice gotten on that case because I don't do it anymore. I also ask her about the processes involved during the cut and resultant wounds. You couldn't have wounds the way I did it. The thing is, you don't cut deeply. It's like cutting your fingernails. After cutting from the left and from the right, we use a cutting wool with iodine and tell the mother to get the listener to apply on the cut. I cut six months to one year old girls. I never cut older children. After three days or latest one week, the wound would have healed. For every little babies, you know, they might have cried a lot because of the pain. So we tell the parents to get some paracetamol when they get home to avoid headaches. But that aside, they just use penicillin. Since I stopped, no one has fought me on this because once they come to me, I, I tell them that I am forbidden from cutting female children and they leave. Now, I don't know if they go on to other places to have it carried out. That's Kende, a former female cutter's tale. 
Hers is one of the murder stories of female genital mutilation that's all too familiar in most parts of sub-Saharan Africa, but not peculiar to it alone. According to UNICEF, at least 200 million girls and women across 30 countries, that is 28 in Africa, and the other two in Yemen and Indonesia have experienced female genital mutilation. Dr. Mrs. Zainab Abdukadri is Senior Registrar of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University Teaching Hospital in Kwara State. Female genital mutilation that is presently being called, previously called female circumcision, but um, the name female circumcision is actually misnomer because it's gotten from male circumcision, which is a circumferential excision of the prepuce in the male organ, which is not so in the female. So that is the reason why circumcision has been taken off the definition hmm. of female genital mutilation because the act is actually a mutilation act, not a circumcision. So by the way of definition, female genital mutilation has been defined as all intended acts which aims at partial or total excision of the female genitalia or all injuries all injuries on the female genitalia for non-therapeutic purpose or for non-beneficial purpose. Female genital mutilation is plagued with all sorts of complications. Well, I think I, I will start off by um, trying to um, grade this um, act. Please go on. Okay, so it, it starts from the mildest form to the severest form. The mildest form being um, scarification. Some cultures believe it's just mere scarification, using of sharp um, scalpels to just make scarification marks on the woman's genitalia, to nipping of the clitoral hood, to actually uh, removal of the organ called clitoris, and of course in some other areas, removal of the labia majora, minora, and the minora. So in grading this from the mildest to the severest, the WHO has come out with the class classification grading it from one to four so the mildest being the grade one which is the uh, any any act of nipping or partial or total excision of the clitoris that is grade one female genital mutilation for grade two is the removal of the clitoris with parts of a structure called the labia minora which is actually the inner lip of the female genitalia. Grade three, which is the excision of the clitoral or parts of the clitoris with the minora extending to the outer lip of the female genitalia, which is the labia majora, also includes all forms of infibulation, which means stitching together of these card uh, edges in grade three. And in grade four, it includes, that is the severest form, including actually excising the vagina in between they do it for all sorts of reasons to, in, to increase the introitals. They actually even in some cultures they call it the gishiri cut, the ganguria cut, making incisions on the vagina and addition of all sorts of herbals, herbal uh, concussions and corrosives in order to um, aid healing in quotes. So this is the severest form and it is found in the northern part of Nigeria. I, well, paradoxically they have the, the the least incidence of it in Nigeria, but they have the severest form of it because they do all sorts of cuts, including even in up to the inner region sometimes. The national statistics revealed that 27% of Nigerian women between the ages of 15 and 49 are victims of female genital mutilation or circumcision, and though the prevalence has decreased in some parts of the country in the last 30 years, not in Ondo and Oyo State. Data on FGM is often controversial, as the process of data collection has been questioned time and time again. In the case of Quara, female genital mutilation remains practiced, albeit not as openly as it used to be. 
There are many who believe that the practice is a secretive one here, regardless of the figures on paper. In 2016, Tosi Ajayi, executive director of the non-governmental organization Women and Youth Development Initiative, came under a lot of criticism when she shared findings from a research which stated that 90% of homes in Ilori Kwara State still practice FGM. Yes, actually, we carried out the research in 2016. And based on the outcome of the research, we did a project as in an awareness-raising campaign in 2017. What informed the research then was that, you know, in 2016, as an organization, sometimes you search for opportunities to bring into the state or to your project location. We were following up with some development partners like the UNFPA, the UNICEF, and we discovered they were rolling out a series of projects on end to FGM in states like Oshun, Ikiti, another part of Nigeria. So on reaching out that why are we not having anything like that in Kwara? We had, we learned that uh, the prevalence rate according to the NDHS, that's the Nigerian Demographic and Health Survey, says uh, the prevalence is not too high in Kwara. So that's why they are not coming into Kwara. You know, being uh, a grassroots NGO that have been on ground for some years, we know what is obtainable when it comes to this. So we did um, our own baseline. We call it baseline study. A mini survey, so to say, within a learning metropolis here, where we, we, we interviewed up to 200 people, uh, varied from girls to female women, you know, um, around girls from 40, 15 years with their parents' consent, then to like 45 years old women. So we interviewed them asking some series of questions about um, FGM prevalence in in learning metropolis. So what was the outcome of that research? The outcome was alarming, you know. It was alarming. You know, we discovered that out of every five girls, at least four has been caught. Out of every five women we spoke to, four has been caught. And uh, the, ND, the NDHS says the prevalence rate in Quara it's between 60 and 70 percent that's a let's say 65.3 percent or so to be precise 65.3 percent that was in 2013 in 2013 uh ndhs survey but our our baseline study our own research shown over 90 percent prevalence in quara in elon metropolis to be precise it was alarming so we swung into action immediately you know writing some partners that we know this thing is very high in e-learning. We are yet to produce the, the, we are yet to have a formal production of the outcome of the survey, but we share the charts and uh, other things with them and they were like, this, uh, this is a case that needs intervention. But what was the reaction to, to you? Because I did read up, I know it did go online and a lot of people were alarmed. Like uh, some people with indignation, some people yeah. with, oh, we knew it all along. You yeah. know, we can't trust the data uh, sometimes. What was the reaction? Uh, was it indifference? Was it uh, met with a lot of optimism for the, with the need to swing into action, especially since you had had evidence? Um, yes, we, uh, the, the reaction, well, let me say from different angles, from the grassroots, um, they were like, uh, from the grassroots, the reaction was, we've been practicing this for a long time. It's been part of us. Well, and from the partners, let me do more on that. They were surprised and they swung into action, you know, 
make it interesting in Ilori Metropolis immediately. And that was why we were able to roll out our project. The title of the project says Building and Echoing Community Voices to End Female Genital Mutilation. So the, the, the action was that we want to let the voices of the community speak against this practice. It's not about somebody bringing in a archaic or, or sorry, somebody bringing in um, westernized method to stop us from doing this. This has been part of us. Let's let's build our voices to to tell people that this is wrong. It's the secret cut, and the practice is plagued by several complications. Dr. Abdukadri speaks. It will not be surprising that uh, in the most common or the most important um, complications, bleeding from the cuts, depending on how extensive it is. Don't forget, these women are being held down by forcefully by women and women alike. Hmm. Just a majority of them could be young girls, even as uh, as early as maybe three to four years of age. Okay, so we may this child, these children or young adults are being held down forcefully, and you know the cut is made by, of course. Uh, an untrained or partially trained person who is the uh, the perpetrator in court. So bleeding is one of the complications that is just the immediate one we find. Okay, hmm. and not talk of the the complications of holding her down forcefully. She can actually sustain a fracture dislocation of the limbs and the joints by doing that. Then of course infection from unsterilized um, instruments that are being used to carry out this act. And hmm. don't forget again, like I said, the patient will be struck. The, the, the victim will be struggling against those who are holding her down. So so there is no precision in what is being caught. So initially, it's they may job. yes. So mm. the success of what is being done is actually based on chance. Because she, you may aim at, for example, the clitoris and end on extending, you know, this the, the, the incision to involve other. Not because you intended to do so, but because the patient is struggling and you are trying to cut. So this can lead to other complications that we have seen. Kwara State is home to several ethnic groups consisting of Yorubas, Fulanese, Nupe, Barubas, amongst others, and dominantly practice Islam. Like several issues which tend to get caught up in the cultural-religious debate, FGM has been caught up in this as well. The practice in Kwara State, like most parts where FGM is prevalent, revolves around the belief system torn alongst two sides, that is, the cultural and the religious lines. These two sides often get blurred. So, the countries in which female genital cutting is a practice are mostly Muslim ones, but they are not exclusively Muslim nations. Of the 29 countries tracked by UNICEF, 14 are home to more Christians than Muslims. The two Middle Eastern and predominantly Muslim countries, Yemen and Iraq, have much lower rates of 23% and 8%, respectively. Other majority Muslim countries such as Saudi Arabia and Iran are not listed in the 2014 report. FGM is practiced amongst some adherents of the Muslim, Christian and Jewish faiths amongst other religions. It is often consistently erroneously linked to specific religions but is not particular to any religious faith and predates Christianity and Islam. And furthering the cultural discourse has been more of the root cause of FGM are cases like Falaka's case, a woman who is in her 30s. She was born in a Christian home in Kwara. I can't remember the specific event because I was very young. 
While growing up, we were told that female circumcision helps prevent waywardness in females. But when I grew up and was about giving birth to my first child, my perineum had to be cut up before the child could be brought out. This happened the first and the second time. When this happened, I realized that there was a lot that both I and my parents knew little about in terms of what had been done to me when I had been circumcised. After speaking to educated doctors, I asked them about what had happened to me. They told me that the FGM I had gone through was the cause, and since I had been caught, the perineum could not expand the way it ought to because it had been caught. Falake has two children now, and the cutting has been recurrent in both cases of childbirth. In the current scenario, where a larger population of residents are predominantly Muslims, like many issues which have culture and religion blurred into a single line, FGM remains a controversial issue, even amongst Islamic clerics. It's a Friday afternoon and an Islamic show on radio in Ilori, the state capital. And the Islamic caller on the show advises on partial cuts. The callers on this particular episode are males who support his stance. What are the benefits of cutting girls? When we cut girls, the parents get the benefit of obeying the sunnah. It also curbs promiscuity amongst females. Look at how females misbehave these days. Even the Holy Book talks about the times when a man will be chased by many women. The only way we can curb this is by circumcising females. This helps curb it. A different view exists still. Mr. Awal Olongbebe as a community development researcher who has had several outreaches on the program. Mr. Awal speaks. When Islam came, there were so many practices on earth that were being uh, carried out by each by different communities. Islam came through Prophet Muhammad وسلم, from Mecca, Medina, down to wherever it is now. The people of Saudi Arabia, today Saudi Arabia, they had their own ways of life before Islam came. They had so many practices, traditional things, values, norms, and all those things they had before Islam came. When Islam came, some of these uh, traditional practices where uh, Islam negated them as, no, you don't do this, you don't do this, take this away. Now we have some scholars that will say, yes, they have to do it. Because Prophet Muhammad Sallam was reported to see a woman in Medina one day doing it. And reluctantly, Prophet Muhammad said, ah, if you have to do this thing, why not the great one? Don't go too further because it's not going to be very good for the for the lady, and even the husband might not like it in the future. And even this hadith uh, reported by Abu Dawood, some scholars are saying no. The Prophet Muhammad only said that when he got to Medina, and he did that just to tolerate their culture. That is why you will never see any hadith of the Holy Prophet Muhammad saying, "Oh, you Muslim, circumcise your children, your female children. There is no hadith that says that. And those who are saying no as well will tell you there is no hadith. hadithan. We do not know of any hadith where Prophet Muhammad uh, commanded any of his households, children, I mean the daughters and the wives, to go ahead and do it. There is no report, nothing like that. All right. So while some are saying um, yes, uh, yes, uh, I mean no, we will not also do it because of one of the hadiths that says, La dharar wa la dirar. Do not harm anybody and make sure you protect yourself from, from being harmed as well. 
So there are so many things attached to this. If the scholars do not come to have a voice in this, in this there's a big problem. Mm. If you have to say, go ahead and do it, why would you say that Islamically? If you have to say, do not do it, why would you say that? Now let's have a word, I mean a voice coming from the scholars. So if you're talking about who should be involved, then the scholars have to be involved. Mr. Mahmoud Danjuma is an Arabic scholar who specializes in Arabic semantics, linguistics. I ask him about what most FGM adherents fear, that is, sinning against God. So what are the consequences, say, for a Muslim who does not get a, a female child circumcised? There is no, there is no uh, stated punishment for a female Muslim who did not get circumcised. No, no punishment no whatsoever. Punish, I, the Prophet Muhammad did not mention any punishment. So, uh, is it fair to say this is also? He did not optional? even. He did not even command the adherents of Islam to do it for female. But even even he, 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 uh, he met with a woman who does it mm. and uh, advise the woman how to do it not that you must do it mm. not that so if you have to do it yeah if you have to do it do it moderately don't cut it deep that's just what we can find in the sayings and the practices of prophet Muhammad. and uh, just to clear this up uh, any consequences for like say a parent who does not get their children circumcised because we've mentioned the fact that there are no penalties for a female who does not get it done any penalties for uh, like say a parent you know you should have done this as a parent you should have gotten your female child and they any there is no and there is no punishment so there's this can can this 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 be said to be more of a an optional choice? Optional, very optional. There are things in Quran and Islam that are optional. Apart from what we find the uh, Quran telling us that you must do this. If you do it, you'll be rewarded. If you do it, if you do if you do not do it, you'll be punished. There are things, many things like that, like prayer like uh, obedience to parents, like doing good to everybody, regardless of races, religion, or tribe, or anything. And there are some things when Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is silent about, that Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is silent about. So that gives us the room of knowing, okay, this if we do it, we will be rewarded. If you do not do it, you will not be punished. Mm-hmm. Say uh, another, there is an hadith of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu who say, what, what, that says, Whoever sees something absurd, one should correct it with his action. If you are unable to correct it with your action, correct it with your words. Oh, this thing is wrong. Don't let us do it again. Let's, let's stop doing it. You correct that. If you are unable to do that, even though you talk, it can harm you. Correct it with your mind. Don't do it and don't appreciate people who do it. So we have three uh, steps in correcting things. One, with action, with your power. Two, with your words. Three, with your mind. But those who do not correct with actions and the words, they are in the, in the, in the category of weak faithful you understand so this there is no stated punishment for who do not do it 
It's a conversation that is further taken on an even more complex dance with terms such as mutilation and a circumcision being used. The conversations around partial or total cuts further complicate the discussion. Anthony Oshiniwe is a child rights activist who has been involved since 2010 in the state and is working to promote the interest of the girl child and young women. Four years ago, I did a consultancy for USAID um, SFH four years ago. It has to do with meeting with uh, female sex workers and just telling them the risk factors of HIV and stuff like that. Basically, what I'm supposed to do is to just talk to them, encourage them, um, distribute condoms to them. But it got to a point that I met, I noticed that there were younger girls there. So I felt, I felt so touched and these girls were actually in school. So the question is, so why do this when you have a bright future? And I found out that the first thing I asked, I tried asking is, were they being mutilated? And I can bet out of every hundred I talked to, 99 is being mutilated. So the next thing is, so why are you into female sex work? I found out that these people have been abused. Most of them, out of the hundred, at least 85 of them have been abused when they were much younger. So they are going into that because of their past experience, not because of they are not being caught, because they are actually being caught. So I, I just sat down, I just did the one on two to get that. It's like, see, let's just be reasonable. What will make me enjoy? Um, during the last rally I had last year at the marketplace, a man said, oh, um, that it's not good to cut girls though, that they will just sleep like that. You, you will just, we, the men, will just stress ourselves. They will not even enjoy anything. And you just be there, you, you'll be sweating, you'll be doing everything. And everybody just smiled. And the man said, that's the fact now. But really, that's actually the fact. FGM strongly revolves around the belief system. Mr. Wow speaks. I don't believe a father or a mother would intentionally hurt his or her child. Only if he or she believes that, okay, I'm hurting him today, but he or she is going to say thank you, dad, mom, for doing this later in the day, in his, uh, in his years, in years to come. So they do not believe they are hurting these kids. They believe they are assisting them, protecting their future, preparing them for the future. That's how they see it. Those interactions have shown that no. Yeah, if you look at those who are not circumcised, of course, doctor just told us now that's not the best word for it. Uh, those who are not circumcised, you see them being promiscuous, you see them doing all this. So by the time they grow up, they'll say thank you, Dad, for doing this for uh, for for having it, this done on us. So they believe they're assisting them, helping them, protecting them. It is not as if they had the intention of hurting them. That's not how they see it. So, right. And that makes it very difficult to take, to exercise from, away from them. Because this is something they believe you are assisting, this will help them. Do you want to tell us to stop assisting them? Mm. That's you were talking person. about some of your experiences. Anything weird struck out? And any stories that. Uh, yes, out? yes, yes, of course. Um, uh, a, a, a girl, I think she was of um, 13 or 14, she was profusely uh, bleeding when we got to the community. Of course, we went on something different. We went for malaria talk and whatever like that. And when we go there, like, what's happening to this girl? No. Uh, in, in, in their words, Oleni, Ojoni, she's only been coward. She's, she, she's weak. That's why. Can, can you imagine since the last time they did it for her and she's still bleeding up? She, see the way she walks? And we were like, ah, what did you do to her? And they told us what he did. We were like, oh, this is just too much. Hmm. And why didn't you, when you wanted to do that of a male child? you would take him to the hospital. Why didn't you take her to the hospital? Ah, hospital people, they will not accept us. They will say no. And this is, 
This is uh, as far as they are concerned, it's it's their tradition. Uh, WhatsApp is um, 0903. Sometimes in October 2017, on Royal FM, a privately owned radio station, on a show tackling female genital mutilation and sponsored by the One Life Foundation, a caller calls in to share his experience while advocating to end the practice in a community outreach in a part of Kwara State. Hello, good morning. Good morning. What is your name, please? Or would you rather not stay? All right, go on. David calling you from Maraba. Good to have you. Go on, please. You know, what the, uh, the, one of your guests is saying there is very right. The people are not aware of the law. Even presently, we went to a particular community, myself and my colleague. And uh, we did uh, a guest generation fund on project to, to actually address that female genital mutilation. We went to a community with t-shirts, about 50 t-shirts. This thing, uh, I support the law against female genital mutilation. But we were chased out in that community. They are, they are not, we went to the, the, the group of the village. Right. He told us, what are you saying? What are you saying? We were chased out. Even the t-shirts, we went there, they threw the t-shirts, we were stoned because they were not aware of the law. We what? tried to convince them. They said, they're not aware of this. What are you saying? What are you saying? You want to destroy my, uh, my culture? No, that please. It was, in fact, I can't. Oh, hello, David. He ends the call emotionally. In 2015, then-Nigerian President Goodluck Abella Jonathan signed the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Bill into law, which included provisions outlawing the practice. Only 10 states in the country have adopted legislation that bans FGM, and Kwara State is not one of them. And we have this thing, when an act is enacted in the country, the states are actually expected to domesticate it into law. Although any state that has not domesticated it, it does not stop the state from prosecuting because um, the state attorney general has a fiat of the federal government attorney general to prosecute cases. So I think the major issue we have is because most states, I don't think we have up to 10 states that actually domesticated the act. Mm. So most states are yet to domesticate it because of the cultural and religious belief attached to it. And a person who performs female circumcision or female genital mutilation or engages in carrying out such committing offense and is liable upon conviction to a term of imprisonment not exceeding four years or a fine not exceeding 200,000 or both. Anthony tells me more. So I think um, one of the things we need to do is we need to sensitize people. Mm. Now when it comes to culture, it's actually difficult to to change somebody's belief. Something that has been there from generation to generation. It doesn't take it doesn't take two, three years to just make that person have a change of heart. So I think it has to be a continuous advocacy and sensitization to make them understand the reason why it is not like it would, uh, to me, I just with anything culture, I believe somebody will just wake up one day and just feel oh this is it then we start doing it and it becomes our culture so i believe by the time we start sensitization and advocating to the stakeholders the community gatekeepers this will actually help a long way so the question is actually how many people are out there how many people really understand because you'll be surprised people that actually that advocate for this for the female genital mutilation you'll be so surprised when you hear the caliber of people that want it done so i think that's where the difficulty lies there are still some people that you feel should understand understand that this is not it but they don't understand it so when educated people do not understand that female genital mutilation is harmful how do you intend to go to the community and tell those that are not educated that it is harmful
The 6th of February is globally recognized as the International Female Genital Mutilation Day, a day set aside to raise awareness on FGM. Antonia believes collaboration is key and intends utilizing this day. One of the things we, we started doing and we hope to continue doing is to really get the media. I believe by the time we we are able to reach more people and they will understand. And also we we're gonna have a, a, a rally where we intend to talk to market people. Um, someone was telling me a few days ago that talking to these women will it really help because these women are they in charge of their homes? Mm. And which if I, when she told me I was like I, I had a second thought about it that really are they in charge of their homes? Even if the mother says no, I don't want my girl to be caught, and the man says oh I'm the head of the family, I want my girl to be caught. So I think after the rally, um, the rally is to mark the zero international zero tolerance day. So I think after the rally we have to look look outside the rally look at let's think outside the box let's see how we can bring our men into it and i think that would actually be, be possible bringing in the religious leaders it's really been difficult we've been trying to get them involved so i think we just keep advocating keep but i'm sure by the time we get one huge person in town will be able to get others. The challenge of laws and their enforcement are a major challenge, especially in the rural part of the state. Barrister Lauren Ishalaya, legal practitioner and child rights activist, speaks in FGM in Kwara State. Now, when you talk about female uh, genital mutilation, uh, it has to do with the victim and the family. Like my brother said, they were at a community. Female genital mutilation rarely takes place in the urban areas it really takes place in the urban areas now when it's done in the urban areas it's done by the local people coming to the urban area that's when the child has not been taken to the local area it's like tribal marks right. you you would really find children of this generation who are in the urban areas with tribal marks mm -hmm. tribal marks usually is from the villages now, if law is, the law is implemented, but how do we effectively implement it? It's only if people around them come and say, we're still doing this in our community. Then the law can step in and look into, uh, into this and say, okay, how do we stop this? But like he has said, they come and tell you that this is their tradition. This is something they've been doing. They are yet to understand the negative effects of what they are doing they are yet to separate themselves from the tradition and without people around them being able to voice out because if the person doing it would not come out and say i have done this because he knows it's against the law but you see we are the ones who are supposed to be our neighbors our, our neighbors uh, keeper by coming out and say we still do this in our community and then we go into the communities and try and educate them and try and make them understand now, when you talk about the people, the victims, we have usually between the age of three and six, seven. Now, those—they're not. I can't. You can call. You can call them kids, but they can't speak out and say, "I'm going to the police or I'm going to any organization to do anything." Right. Now, those who have it done at older age have agreed to get it done. FGM remains underreported and enshrouded in secrecy in Quara State and involves the cooperation of the society at large itself. So if you don't have the people 
coming out to voice out the the wrong being done don't have people coming out to voice out the wrong being done it's difficult for you to actually know that these things are happening now people will come out and tell you yes there's a malaria breakout here epidemic here this and that but you hardly find it where someone will come out and say we have uh fgme in our in our society it, it usually doesn't happen it happens you get to know and you go there and once they know that you are in on them trying to stop this thing they find a way of uh, curbing it oh. now like 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 the doctor has said it varies from places to when you talk about somebody who's old like she said who agrees feels like it's going to uh hinder my childbirth or things she volunteers she agrees to get it done now if it's done she obviously won't come out and say i have been molested or anything she takes it gets well if she gets well if she passes on from that it's a sin that she was sick and she passed on so usually it happens in the villages in the uh, rural areas in the upper centers you you really find it the major challenge of the fgm practice is that it thrives on the belief system that fgm has certain benefits well it is a harmful undoubtedly a harmful traditional practice that is unfortunately being buttressed by our sociocultural and religious um, sentiments and sensibilities leading to the perseverance and persistence of this practice despite all the yields and the dangers well medically the reason why some people give reasons for um in the, still in, engaging in these acts varies from different cultures to cultures and from different religions to religions for reasons ranging from um, prevention of promiscuity, preventing the woman from being promiscuous, preventing stillbirth, on all sorts of reasons. But medically, if we look at it and examine all the evidences and the researches that have been done on this particular issue, we have realized, or science has made us realize that there's virtually no benefit medically that no can benefit. be gotten from female genital mutilation. Because the reasons that have been adduced for these acts have been unfounded over the years. If it is the issue of preventing sexual promiscuity, research has shown that those that have been mutilated do not differ sexually from those that haven't been mutilated. Also, the reasons ranging from prevention of stillbirth, prevention of infertility has actually been called pure conjectures. It has no scientific basis whatsoever. So we, we kind of try to uh, uh, ask ourselves and examine again what exactly are the benefits, if at all. But we have found out that there's virtually nothing Wow. No, abs- absolutely no benefits whatsoever that can be accrued to a woman being mutilated. It is important that several key figures lend their voices to the cause as many remain unaware of the laws and some even see it as an attempt to demonize the culture. Mr. Arwell believes in the importance of men joining in on the conversation, engaging citizens as well as key religious leaders weighing in. Even if the woman, the woman buys it, it, it makes no sense. They have to be involved there. They have to be involved. But there is something Nigerian government they don't do. What is that? They are good at enacting laws without educating the populace. Hmm. They have to first understand the, the, uh, the hazard, hammer, every other thing that are involved in this practice first. Let them appreciate it. You see them fighting for it. You see them fighting against it. I mean, if they understand the reason why they should not do it. So for somebody in Abuja to come up with a law without having the people in the grassroots involved in it and just bring it down. So there is no how you, they will see you as, okay, they don't like our culture. 
That's how it's going to be. And when you talk about the people that have to be involved, what the stakeholders as far as it's concerned, Muslim scholars, they have to be part of this. People have to come out to talk about it. Ilori is a good example of uh, an Islamic uh, community, let me put it that way. The people, some other parts of the country are looking up at there as in, what, what are the people in Ilori saying about it? If mm. the scholars in Ilori are quiet about this, if there is no verdict, if there is no verdict coming from Ilori saying it is right, it is not right, then so many people will keep doing it. So when you talk about the stakeholders, the scholars have to be involved. As someone who's at the very center of it all, I ask Antonia about what needs to be done immediately. I would really have thought about the legislation, but in the real sense, I, at least I've been in learning for a very long time. I've been in this state for a very long time. Even if we need the VAP Act to be domesticated into a state law. But the question is, even if this act is domesticated into a state law, the person that is going to pass, we're in a kind of society that, in a way, law does not really, like, we don't follow the law. I'm sorry to say that, but the law is there. We all see. Recently, I, I, I got informed that a magistrate sentenced a, um, a lactating mother for owing a debt of 360000 And I asked the question, why would a magistrate do that? It's right there in the law. Once a woman is pregnant or breastfeeding, the woman is not meant to go to jail. And now you are sentencing her because she's owing 300. And the 300, is it even criminal? It's not. So why would you sentence her? So even if this law is being domesticated, my question is, how well are we going to make use of that? The child right law has been domesticated since 2006 or thereabouts. But my question is, how well do we make use of it? Falake, a survivor, is now taking it upon herself to help other young girls and women avoid the pains she's had to go through. Sherry, Imanomi, Fuamubi, Timoshi, Tonlati, Bro, Niwikbe, Didabe, Fuamubi, my advice for parents who are ready to listen is that cutting girls is not the same as educating them from a very young age. We shouldn't look at this as an interference on culture. There are so many beautiful aspects to our culture, but FGM is not one of them. We say we protect a child from a young age till say about age 20. What happens when she grows up is that she does not enjoy her marital life. What are we saying to them? Do we want them to go and return back home to the family house or are we teaching them the vital lessons for life? We must train our young girls about what is right. Waywardness doesn't come from the private parts down there or from the mind. Why don't we circumcise our hearts instead of the body? I plead with parents to refrain from causing problems that live beyond when we are here on earth. Let's put an end to it. And an FGM appears to be a race with no finish line in most parts of the world. And in Quara State, more hands and voices are needed in this never-ending task, both online as well as offline. I am light, I am light. I am and that's it on this particular edition of the documentary, Speak Now, the documentary series. Thanks for listening. I'm Femi Sunday Okonola. Pieces of the brokenness inside. I am light. I am light.
not the mistakes that I have made Or any of the things that cause me pain